0: And ladies and gentlemen, he's one of the all-time greats, my buddy, Mr. John Wayne.
1: You're listening to the John Wayne Gritcast with me, Ethan Wayne. The hell I will. We're talking all about the life and legacy of my father.
0: John Wayne. Mr. John Wayne. John
1: Wayne is the United States of America.
0: Slap some bacon on a biscuit and let's go. When Jade first reached out to me, I responded and I was like, I just got in another shipment of books. I I give them I like to create American made birthday presents for nieces and nephews and friends and just include like nostalgic America, American items. And so when I found the Little Duke book, I was obsessed with it. I
1: can't believe that you found it before we met. I'm so excited.
0: It's isn't that fun though? Yeah. But I I had the audio. I had like his whole audio, his spoken album when I was little. And so I always loved the America Why I Love Her. But, but
1: you're you're you seem really young to me. I don't I'm know if you're 32. in your twenties. Okay. That's to me that's young.
0: I'd like to say I'm young.
1: You're half of me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> A little more than half of me. Um yeah. so I grew up with it, but I don't you know, I don't know how many how many other people like in you know, your age group grew up with it. I mean I think the words in there are timeless words, they're patriotic, so uh, And it
0: mentions Louisiana. And so, yeah. you know, that was something like I always felt like anything that was produced. America, Louisiana kind of got forgotten because we were like the little little backwoods part of the United States. And so I just remember being young and feeling such a sense of ownership to it because it was like, oh, he oh, remembered whoa. Louisiana. You know, like That's I remember awesome. that in my little my little child brain, but my grandfather and my dad. You know, they all watched John Wayne movies, and so I think that's where the affiliation for it came from. And as a young child, and I'm sure there's a lot of people in my generation that can recognize the name. I don't know how much they well, like were you said, it's about him. Grandfather to yeah. father
1: to son, you know, it goes. It just goes down, and it seems to be a place where. Even as as different generations go through different phases, they can all sort of still gather around a John Wayne movie. Right. Like you can always sit down and watch the Cowboys together and appreciate, mm-hmm. you know, the story, the pearls of wisdom, the humor.
0: And I remember my grandpa living with us the last few, well, the last couple months of his life and waking up at three in the morning to John Wayne movies watch on John Wayne at movie. full blast, you know. <laughs> Like, might as well get Whoa. up and watch it with them, because I'm not that getting any pass. sleep. As you
1: get older, the hearing starts to go.
0: <laughs> yeah, but we played, you know, when I was little, like playing with my brothers. We'd play, cow- you know, with cowboys. We, I mean, we were li- We lived rural, and we had our own farm, so we had, like, our, our corrals for our cows, and we'd play in there and set up different different areas, and my brother would be John Wayne, and I would always be the damsel in distress.
1: Cool. So you grew up in rural Louisiana. I did. Okay. Uh, I don't know went through school like I don't I don't really know your story yeah and how did you like start there and end up here
0: it's an interesting story isn't it I feel like people get always get confused like how did you how did you wind up with fieldcraft? craft <laughs> you don't seem like a field crafter
1: <laughs> well there's like the crazy prep crowd bunker people yeah bunker people And, uh, you know, I, I don't, I think it's pretty, I think it's, it's becoming more and more, people are becoming more and more aware of, uh, that, that what you do isn't bunker style prepping. I mean, they kind of panicked when they ran out of toilet paper. It's just sort sort of self-reliance and knowing like, Hey, the sun comes up in the East and it sets in the West. There's a, there's part of your compass right there. You know, how do you stop bleeding? How do you clean water? I mean, these are some basic things. Do you have situational awareness? Are you capable of doing the basics to take care of of yourself and maybe your family or your friends?
0: That's how America was founded, though. Yes,
1: yes. And, you know, Dusty, on the camera here, we just made a little Western in uh, Cedar City in Kanab where just everybody chipped in on this thing. And in it, I'm the father of this guy and we have a route and we do it in a covered wagon. And when you're like driving two mules and you're going over the desert in a covered wagon. I mean, it just gave me a, I'm always impressed when I look at the landscape that people <laughs> forged their way west. Oh yeah. But to do it in a covered wagon on, with wooden wheels and, you know, leather suspension. I know you really can't hear me. Does it fade away that much? Yeah. So you Fine. You you Fine. Anyway, you were great. Oh, okay. they were rugged. They had to deal with, you know, Swindlers and, and uh, bandits and uh, you know. I
0: mean do you ever play Organ Trail? The game? Your no. rattlesnake bites? No your covered wagon would no. get washed Mm-mm. out That's to river. Did you play Organ Trail? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think That's... That was past his time. Oh man, come on. Organ Trail never ever... he didn't have a computer when he was growing. Organ Trail's amazing. It's a computer
1: <laughs> game. Oh, it's a computer game? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was very nineties. It was the highlight of the nineties.
1: Yeah. No, I was in I was a six, you know, 60s. I was born in 62 and uh, traveled a lot with my dad, you know, throughout the 60s and, and 70s. And then he died in 79. I was 17. But that whole time period with him was spent, you know, either on location in Mexico, uh, pretty rural and remote, always around a bunch of livestock and horses, the wranglers, the stunt guys. Or on his boat, which was a converted World War II minesweeper, mm. and that was north in the summer, like British Columbia and Alaska, or you know, deep down in the Mexico in the winter. Uh, so we we grew up out outdoors, outside, uh, yeah. not a lot of help around. Um, preparedness had, was a lifestyle. Yeah, and, and I, don't, it, I guess preparedness is a is a good word for it, but w- we didn't use it. It was like uh, some people go on vacation. And they go scuba diving, they go to scuba diving place that has all the gear and has all the boats and has the people put, they just put it on you and they sink you in and then you pop up. We did everything ourselves, you know, whatever was happening, we were in in charge of it. And I think that was a great childhood for me.
0: Absolutely. And I
1: see you emulating that with your children. And I do think a lot of current families don't do that and the kids don't get the benefit that yours are getting. Oh, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) I was talking about me. It's okay. Cut that part out. We love it.
0: No. Include it. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, grew up very rural. Um, In Louisiana, everybody kind of stays around the same area. So, we grew up right next to where my grandparents were living. And, like, my dad and his dad, when my dad was younger, built with their own hands the house that my dad grew up in. My grandparents lived in it. I'd walk across the little gravel road every day to go have coffee milk with my grandparents. And... He'd smoke his cigarette and tell me stories about his childhood. Just like that, a very great, warm gr- environment to grow up in. I graduated in a class of 27, so wow. super small school. Um, but from a very young age, I was always very curious. And my, my parents were very patient. And um, neither of them had a college education. They could have. They were, they're some of the most brilliant people that I know. Um, But they always fed my curiosity, like never made me feel ashamed of it. My mom took me weekly to the library to help me find books, to learn about whatever it was I wanted to learn about, and my dad would always start from the very basics, no matter what he was doing. He'd let me sit with him and ask the million questions I had, and never got frustrated. And I I pride myself on this when I tell, or I I pride my dad on this when I tell this story, but my dad has never once in his life yelled at me, raised his voice at me. Very disciplined and raised us in a very disciplined manner, but just the picture of patience, you know, Um, and wanted us, I have two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother, wanted us to have every tool in our tool belt that we wanted in this life. So. All through high school, I did as much as I could do just to learn. I was on the welding team. I was on the small engines team. I did horticulture judging, um, forestry judging. You know, we raised our own animals. Um, I also did pageants. That's just the southern part of me. And it all just really helped to create um, a well-rounded foundation, I feel like. Because with the pageants, you had to do research based on the industry you were representing. So... I was like the international rice festival queen. So I had to learn all about the rice industry in Louisiana and do um, an interview and get on stage. And then you had to speak on stage and it was great lessons. You know, people might laugh at that, the whole pageant deal, but it was great. It was really great.
1: And it's amazing for kids because then you have to, you know, you have to know, you have to shift gears and okay, now I have to like, present myself well, so I have right. to be clean and dressed and buttoned mm-hmm. and stand up straight and do some of these basic things. Yeah, like I have
0: to change out of my welding clothes, you know.
1: So after high school, I took welding and <laughs> agriculture at Orange Coast College. Nice. Yeah, welding's an amazing skill. It is amazing. Yeah. Um,
0: it's
1: like sewing metal.
0: That is a great way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I don't really often use it, but I could if I had yeah, to, you know. if you had to. We could figure some stuff out together. Save the world. Yeah. Um, so did all of this, just preparing for college, um, was from a very rural school. And so being that I was so involved, academ- academic-wise and extracurricular-wise, was able to get so many scholarships, um, which was kind of my goal. It became like a, a fun thing to do. You know, how many more can we get? And then how far? How far can we can we ride this train? Um, got a bachelor's in nursing, um, and then got married and decided to stay home and raise my three babies for a while, and lived on my husband's family's farm. So very rural, again. close to
1: where you grew up.
0: About. About seven miles away. Oh, wow. Yeah, same town.
1: Did you grow up with your husband?
0: No, we met in later in high school. I see. Yeah, he went to the bigger school where they had football. I yeah, we see. Yeah, we just had basketball. And so um, spent a few years just raising babies and learning how to pour into them what I had been taught. And just started to recognize the value of that, of just being... Um, deeply involved with them and teaching them things from a very basic way, just the way my parents had done to me, you know, but evolving it in my own way um, and making it.
1: I don't know if there's anything more important in, in life than what you do for your kids. And and I'm just going to, I'm going to interject here a little bit, just a a quick story because my father was older uh, and obviously, you know, pretty busy guy By the time I came along, you know, early in my childhood, my parents uh, had some difficulties and they separated and then he had some health issues and some financial issues. But as a young boy, when he had the time to spend with me, whether it was doing schoolwork or explaining something about how the boat works or tying knots or... uh, you know, how to how to find the location if I'm lost in Mexico. Like those moments with him are the best moments for me and where my sort of self-reliance and my my personal capabilities went up. You know, I, I did better in school and I did better in everything when I could get that attention from my dad. And I think it was just he was a little bit older and going through a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and the difference between when I could get it and when I couldn't get it is really... Like, I felt it as a kid. I felt a different feeling inside, like warmth and home or a little coldness and, and like, emptiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as an older person now, I can look back and see what a difference his influence made in my life. So what, I think yeah. what you're doing for your kids is it's the best thing that you could possibly do for another human being.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. And, I mean, I appreciate that you see and value that um i think a lot of that has is lost just because the the needs of our modern lives mm-hmm. and there's just not much room for that
1: we get sucked into the noise mm-hmm. and there's no time for for yeah. our, those personal connections that are so important
0: absolutely and and i i really that was what i did um for a, for a long time you know almost almost 7 years exclusively of just raising of raising babies um
1: I I know you have three kids, right? I do. And how old are they now?
0: They're nine, seven, and I'll have a five-year-old on Sunday. I know. They're still babies, though. When
1: when I think back, like I have great memories from five to nine. Yeah, it's just magic. It's
0: it's really fun ages. Um,
1: It's it's magic time.
0: It is. They're coming into themselves. They have so much independence. Um, I homeschool them, and that's something that I decided to do from the very you know from the very beginning of schooling. And I've really stuck with it. And despite, you know, going through a divorce and moving into working more full time, I just, I knew that I had to find a way to maintain that and make sure that that, main, that was part of their life. And that was their story. When I did
1: the best in school, it was when my father was involved in my homework mm-hmm. or if we were on location, I was getting tutored. Yeah. Uh, I had a tutor named Tom Hennessy, who was probably six foot eight. He dwarfed my father. My dad was six four, two forty. 4 and this guy made my dad look little. Uh, I think he was six eight or six nine, bearded, long hair, three hundred and twenty pounds. He played a bad guy in a lot of the movies, but he was he was, he was my your tutor. he was my tutor. And he he was look, I you know I was just like interested in everything yeah. the guy said because he'd show us why we're going to learn this, or he'd take me somewhere and I'd see something happening, and then he'd explain mm-hmm. the school part of it. Yeah. And so in two or three hours a day, I just progressed.
0: Right. Yeah. And, if, and I I want them to have a living education, something that is constantly applied because that's where the learning sticks. Yeah. And that, I gleaned that from working alongside my dad. You know, the things that I remember, even even about just how to safeguard myself by taking care of my vehicle once I got to college and I was, you know, in a sorority and living that life. I still knew how to make sure that I was, I was safe and took care of all my sorority sisters too. But it was, it was never something I read in a manual or something he sat down and tried to explain to me. He showed me mm-hmm. and we did it together and we learned through experiences. And those are things you don't forget. You know, My mom, before I could get my driver's license, my mom and my dad told me I had to learn how to cook. An actual meal, not like spaghetti. Sorry if that offends any Italians, but like, you know, it's like cooking pasta. (laughs) My dad was like, that's not that difficult. You have to cook rice and gravy, you know, because there's just too many women that don't know how to do that. And I know that sounds sexist in this council culture world we live well, in but
1: regardless of gender you got to not a cook
0: well my brother he, they had the same expectation of my brother they actually made my brothers learn how to cook and how to dance because he also he also wanted to make sure that they knew how to get on a dance floor i love it though i loved it, it yeah it, it worked well for our family but um it wasn't it wasn't my mom explaining it to me it was her saying like pull up this chair and we're cooking together mm-hmm. And so they, she started doing that with me at at a pretty young age. And so by the time I was old enough to get my driver's license, I cooked my dad rice and gravy one night. And he that's, said, go get your license tomorrow. That's
1: awesome. I didn't. Yeah. I don't have kids, but I have... Uh, my sister Marisa has uh, two kids, Duke and Carmella. Carmella's 17 and Duke's f- 14 now. But, uh, you know, I'd get in the car with them. And, uh, you know, we, we don't live in a huge town. It's kind of small. And I'd go like... How do we get home? And he'd be like, I don't know. I'm like, well, I'm only going where you tell me. So figure it out with the kids. And he'd be like, okay. uh, (laughs) And he started thinking about it. So we've gone, I've gone through some of that with them yeah. vicariously and I want to do it more and they probably don't want me to do it more, but it's so, so fun to do.
0: Oh, and at the age minor at, it's hilarious oh my and gosh, because I they have imagine. to like, they have to form a camaraderie in the back because you know, they can't tell me to go in two different directions. Yeah. And so, and the stress inoculation factors there too. <laughs> so you're like raising their heart rate and stuff. I'm like, which way am I going? Am I going right? Am I going left? Decide. That's and perfect. so it's really it's cute. It's so fun. Yeah.
1: I'm they have jealous. to work as a
0: team. I love it. Yeah. I love it. But. Yeah.
1: But I like the fact that they made you cook. I know. It's, it's funny. <sighs> Modern life is different than, than life was like when my father was a kid. But when I look at my dad's high school career, he was on the school newspaper, you know, the dance committee, uh, captain of the football team, on the debate team, in the drama club, like I, I was, I couldn't have been farther away from high school at that time in my life. Like I was just distant. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really involved in anything. Uh, and then, you know, as I got older, I looked at what he did. It, it helps make you a, a, a more rounded, you yeah, know, for individual.
0: Sure. Like I said, welding, pageants.
1: Yeah, debate. You Don't know, put I wish me, in what been. box?
0: Don't put me in a box. <laughs> yeah, I did, I actually did parliamentary law with our, our um, FFA team. So like learning and memorizing Robert's Rules of Order and sitting down and and getting some random issue and having to figure out, you know, exactly how we were going to go through that using law and order. You know, I I think that, like, that's what America's legislation is founded upon. And most people don't even, have never even heard of anything that exists in Robert's Rules of Order. Because
1: it, it just, like, modern life just sweeps you past all that.
0: Yeah, and everything's so compartmentalized, you know. Most people don't get outside of their own niched area to involve themselves in any other area because mm-hmm. it, well, and being a learner past a certain age in your life can get really frustrating and overwhelming if you don't, I say number one, if it's not something that you were innately taught to do. And I feel like that's why it's, it's critical to include children in so much of the learning process because of the future that you want them to have. When they're 40 years old, you want them to still be open-minded to learning yes. something new. So yeah. they have to be capable of being a learner.
1: Um. It's funny. A lot of people label John Wayne as an ultra conservative. But if you talk to John Wayne, he'd be like, I'm a liberal. Yeah. Like, I I read everything. Mm -hmm. And then I form my own opinion. And if somebody has a different opinion, he was genuinely interested in hearing why they had that opinion. Well, everybody has such different experiences. He might change his mind if he got a piece of information that he didn't have. There's my boy, Finn. Yes, oh, come here, ready Come here and say hello. <laughs> oh
0: my gosh! Where have you been? He's big. Where have you been? He's stout.
1: Come here, Finn. Get over here. Come on.
0: He probably smells all the Belgian Malinois that have been in here. Oh my
1: gosh, those dogs are crazy. Come here. Come here. Come here. Yeah. Come here. Good boy. You stay with me, buddy. You stay here. Yeah. Sit down. Sit down. Sit.
0: You were missing him. Get down. Get down. Buddy.
1: Yeah, well, he just had, you know, a, a giant order of bacon uh, from mm-hmm. La Galleria or whatever that place was called. Did you love it? Yeah, it was really good. The globe? Good. We sat in the Christmas ornament thing. Right? And You're yeah. like, am
0: I in a Christmas movie? Hallmark, where are you?
1: It was fun. We actually started filming there. I love it. Jade and I had our daily, daily morning banter <laughs> inside the, the snow globe. It was fun. How much time do you spend out here?
0: Um, it varies, but normally at least once a month I'm down here for a few days. Yeah. We, when we were standing up the women's course last summer, I was here a little more often. And but guess then, what?
1: All the John Wayne ladies are coming to the women's course.
0: I love that. Yeah.
1: That would be amazing. That would be fun. You should like, do an exclusive
0: uh, one for the John Wayne ladies. Yeah, right. I
1: think you'd be good at it. It's great. Finn, don't cry. Um, come here. He, he always puts like a constant twenty pounds of pressure on the leash, no matter where you are. Yeah, <laughs> he's,
0: he's like a he's like a weighted blanket. Come on, he just follows you everywhere. Come on. come on,
1: get up. Come on. Yeah, all right. It's my boy. Check oh my buddy. gosh. Dogs like <laughs> <And he
0: follows. laughs> I love his voice.
1: Yeah, he can be vocal.
0: He's we, being
1: present. We used to have an office and so everybody'd roll in the morning and Jade would bring her dog and Finn came in and Hi. Owen and Chella. We had it was really fun. Do you guys don't all, have
0: an office anymore?
1: We went remote.
0: Oh, was that a COVID thing?
1: Yeah, six months into COVID, nobody was going to the office and everything was fine. Jade moved. Amy moved. Stacy moved. Who else moved? Jill moved. Everyone moved except for you. Yeah, everybody moved except me. Um I miss the personal interaction of the office. But, you know, the business is fine. And then we went to the Fort Worth Stockyards and built a museum.
0: Yeah, we were talking about that earlier. Um,
1: And that's worked out great. It's a terrific spot. Um, So, yeah, we're remote. I work out of the storyteller.
0: You're so modern.
1: Overland, stealth mode.
0: It's about to be prepped.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to see what you guys do.
0: Speaking of prepped... (laughs) So, <laughs> so, um, I, I love to teach. That's always been something that, um, just really speaks to me is, is I hate pretension. And even growing up, my dad would bring me to a variety of places. And if there were men there, or even women who put off a pretentious
1: mm-hmm.
0: vibe, like I had no business asking certain questions because that's not ever how my parents raised me. Right. Right. Any question you have will answer it. And if we don't know the answer, we'll figure it out for you. We'll get and, you that information. And
1: when you're a kid, John Wayne's your dad, and he's the biggest movie star in the world, and other people start acting pretentious, and you, you know how down-to-earth and humble and open-minded mm-hmm. your guy is, yeah. it really shines a light on... Like, your, your BS meter gets...
0: And kids pick up on insincerity yeah. so quickly. Yeah, that's
1: know? a that's a great way. That's what it is. It's insincerity.
0: It is, and Perfect. like my kids can know when someone's not authentic, and I can tell by their body language. Mm. And they'll be respectful because that you still have that. I think Jay can say that like southern expectation of just being a, a good, kind person. You know, mm. and I can tell they're still kind, but they get reserved really quickly. Mm. And so later they'll talk to me about it. They usually call those people tricky. Like that's their word. Oh, that's that was good. Tricky, you know? I love I kids. Because I always say, like when
1: I was a kid, like some people were nice and some people were like, you got a good vibe from them or you didn't. Mm-hmm. And
0: that's and my I, my oldest will tell me it's her in her tummy. She's like, I just didn't feel right about them in my tummy. Wow. Yeah, like those little that's gut awesome. instincts, you know.
1: Do they come out here with you
0: sometimes? They do. They love. Awesome. you. They have. A whole little family here, I normally bring them in the summer, and um, I've done summer camp with them up in Park City. Wow, and so they think their their life is very unique and atypical.
1: How, how far is Huntsville from here? Does anybody know
0: huntsville can we we can, we can google map it?
1: yeah, we'll google it in a second. Just wonder how far away I'm going to be.
0: Are you gonna plan to spend some time out there?
1: 57 yeah, how much fifty yeah, seven so an 15. hour, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've always wanted to get a place here, and a couple of years ago, I started looking in southern Utah, Kanab, and yeah. up that Highway 89, there's a bunch of different towns along there, it's beautiful.
0: Such a different climate.
1: <sighs> different climate, yeah, but uh, someone said, hey, here's an opportunity, and so I jumped on it, but that's nice. Huntsville, so it's not far from here.
0: Yeah, They last year I brought them here, um, we stayed here for a week, we did our first women's course, I did some content. And do you and do it then- right here somewhere? Uh, The women's course? Yeah. We started it here, but now we have like a master trainer and we've moved it to our training facility, which is on the East Coast. It's in North Carolina. Oh, wow. Um, And so they take it around the country. So they mainly do it in Texas. They've done a couple in Arizona um, and Tennessee.
1: Like, do you need certain... Like, do you need a certain amount of space? Or yeah, are they so shooting, they, they or? use
0: partner ranges um, so that they can have some of their equipment stationed there. We use sim munition guns, mm-hmm. um, and so it's just easier for them to ha- They They need a shoot house in order to do the full extent of the course, like to, to do the whole curriculum. And they need open space outside to do different drills that they run and a classroom setting. I've never
1: uh, used sim munitions, but is the gun just just as hard to rack as a... It's a, I,
0: I say it's a little easier. It's a, It feels a little looser, and it's, they're being used a ton. But it's the same body and frame as a Glock. Okay. Um, Glock 19. And so you get the same mechanism of action of the gun. It's like 70% of the recoil, and okay. then they're non-lethal and non-toxic. I see. So we have a lot of pregnant women who come. They don't have to worry about that lead exposure. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And then the, the liability is reduced so much because you have so, such new, a oh, lot of times, yeah. such new people shooting. Mm. And so... <laughs> you don't have the the risk factor of nine millimeter rounds possibly yeah. going where they shouldn't go. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's great. And it it removes a lot of the um, the anxious tension that I find some women have when they've never shot a gun before, when they hear and realize like, oh, it's
1: men. not as aggressive. Or men, if I haven't gone and shot for a long time, that first, you know, pulling the trigger, yeah. if, if it's not, if it doesn't feel like home base anymore, there's anxiety and tension in it.
0: And you, so many times people are anticipating the recoil too, and they're doing the Mm -hmm. jerk on the gun. Yeah, guilty. The best part of the course is um, is these situations that we create or that the trainers create, and they have a bad guy in a blower suit. So it's a suit that Tony Blower created, and it's just a whole body armor. And some of them are no shoot situations. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I've seen him. He's great. but they normally will present themselves as a threat in some capacity. And the, we've taught the women ahead of time. They've, I say we, but they've, I'm not teaching it anymore. They've taught the women ahead of time um, what fear looks like in the body, what it will manifest as, and how they will feel that, that freeze, flight, or flee response. Um, freeze, fight, or flee. Yeah, said it right, right? F3 response. Um, and what, how they use that to their advantage and how they move on to the next step. And so they're not paralyzed in that fear. Just teaching them that's normal. That response is normal. You know, you're know, you not yeah. weak that you feel it, but you get to choose your next step. Um, and we call it decision point. And so they have to make the decision about when to draw that firearm and shoot that bad guy. But they actually have to follow through with it shooting an actual person. It's a sim round, so it's pain. And so that's a really incredible experience for these women that they can't get <laughs> they can't get anywhere else
1: cozy's right to- <laughs> that's what oh she saw the bear oh, skin God. oh my gosh that's so funny
0: her situational awareness
1: so then you oversee all those courses or?
0: Uh, no, not anymore. So we stood the course up and then passed it off to our training team and they they run it. it the master trainer is, she's a female. She's incredible. Um, and she was on the SWAT team for the Charlotte Police Department. Mm. So extremely skilled in the articulation of the law mm-hmm. because there's such a legal component yep. to self-defense and you don't want to leave that out. You know, um, yes, self-defense is your inherent right. And thank God we live in a country where you can still use that when needed, uh, but the law does exist. And so mm-hmm. you will encounter the legal system if you do have to employ that. And so training them to understand what their legal rights are and what their legal rights aren't. You know, when is somebody an actual threat? Yeah. Um, and what would, what would actually hold up in a court of law and what wouldn't? Um, those are really important components of a self-defense course. And so, True. so it's not a marksmanship course. We have courses for that that you could move on to, like mm-hmm. level two versions of the course and gunfighter courses. This one is, I think, almost the most necessary foundation for self-defense because you get into the actual meat and potatoes of the classroom. It is the a of scenario it.
1: like you walk into a room and you don't know if something's in and something pops up and you've got to deal with it? Yeah. Yeah, okay, so that's that, great.
0: They have shoot houses it's for like that. like high
1: school for a boy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, throw you back into that. Um, With a gun, though. God, can you imagine? Mm. But it's a lot of moms, too. And in the scenarios, they'll include, like, little baby dolls. And they've had instances where they've been like, what's your child's name? And so then they'll walk them into the room and they'll say, this is your child sleeping in this room. Now something's going to unfold and you have to decide when you're going to act and they don't know when it's coming or what's coming. I mean, obviously they know a threat's coming at some yeah. point, um, but they have to make the decision. And, and it's so many little things that they don't think about even like, where did you stage yourself in the room? You know, did you put yourself between that child and that, where was the best place for you to get in order to lock down that you, space control? You get and them thinking them and you get yeah. them thinking
1: in that environment and that's... Their
0: wills are turning. J-
1: just that Uh, you know, your brain's not going to forget that. It's Mm going to always snap back to that.
0: Right. Or even the scenarios you set up with a vehicle, you know, like, okay, well, what could have maybe gone differently? What could you have done differently? And I I think they do a really good job of making sure these women never feel like they're wrong, you know, that everything they're doing is part of the learning experience. Mm -hmm. It's okay if you don't do it exactly the way the master trainers would have done it. They're going to explain to you why they would do it differently instead yeah, of the being beginning like that. Of an evolution in you your know?
1: life and yeah. your skill set. So for sure. Yeah.
0: So yeah, I. That's great work. I, it's it's amazing the the mm-hmm. empowerment that these women have when they leave is is great. Um,
1: Did you guys connect through social media?
0: Yeah. So so always educated. Um, natural wellness is a big is a big passion of mine too um essential oils and homeopaths i have the nursing background so Mm. once i had children um helping to educate my family and friends who had those questions about like my baby has croup what can i do for croup other than you know go to the hospital and do a breathing treatment like what can i do from home um that became something that was so fun for me. And so I put together protocols and I would do education for that online. Um, And just just being able to create and then teach, almost like digest information and make it uh, something that was easier to understand for Mm. people. That's that's just something I always did naturally. And so did that. um, And it was an outlet, it was a creative outlet while I was home being mom, you know, in the throes of having tiny, tiny children. Um, And it gave me a space to connect with other people and like minded people, um, and so when Covid hit everybody moved into panic mode, especially I have a lot of moms that follow me, and so there's a lot of that demographic there mm-hmm. and and a lot of people just felt very helpless. you know they the lack of resources was making them feel very helpless, just realizing um, that they had gotten themselves in such a passive state of existing of just never believing anything could could just catapult them into a space where they were reeling and felt like they had no control um i grew up in southwest louisiana still live there so natural disasters and hurricanes are just part of life um, where that's very different than covid but it was still having to process a catastrophe and a disaster and work your way through that rather than panic do what you can to prepare and then also do what you can to help other people you know like be prepared to be a blessing to other people when you can and so um, really took on the role of just encouraging families in that space, in that time, in that season of COVID, in that initial panic when everybody was nesting and trying when, to... Uh,
1: prepared always kicks me into another gear when I hear that word prep or prepared. But but what you are, uh, prepared is the, the right word, but you're just, it's almost like common sense. It, it's almost like, Common sense that's been lost in a modern environment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, does that make any sense to you? Yeah. I mean...
0: I think it's complacency.
1: Okay, I'll go with that. But it's... it's
0: you know, it's the moving towards complacency moves like it's, you away it's, from common sense. Yeah, but
1: it's not like some sophisticated bunker shelter, this drip system, that uh, air... It's just... Paying attention paying attention and and dealing with like your basic responsibilities to your family, I yeah. guess.
0: And I I just always had an affinity for it. I love American history. And so, you know, when I was little I wasn't playing um playing house outside or I would I would be a very specific household, you mm. know, like today we're the Jefferson household.
1: <laughs> I think I was like a horrible kid, and no, I think it's only know. later in life that I really like Put my head down and tried to educate myself on certain things. I don't think... I think like I was just kind
0: of a freak, probably. Mm. I was just excessive. Um, but that everybody took care of and themselves, you, and they took you, care uh, of each other. Were
1: you a, a family during COVID or separated during COVID? We were a family. Still together? Yeah. Okay.
0: And my, my ex-husband is incredible at preparedness, too. I mean, he's one of the best outdoorsmen that I know mm. um, and just has always taught our children that way as well. And our son... He's the best little fisherman in Louisiana. I mean, I will wow. say that. Bold statement, but uh, he can tie a knot like a boss. Are you
1: west of New Orleans?
0: Um, yes. South yeah, we're of... on the other side of the state. Yeah. So southwest. Is New, New Orleans... Orleans is southeast.
1: Southeast. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've flown. I don't know. I, I ended up in New Orleans and then I came. I kind of basically was at another little airport south of New Orleans and then just flew that whole coast. It's like. Kind of trees, but there's water and yeah. little shacks on sticks and yeah. things. Like I flew that all the way to Texas or California, but it's an interesting topography that I'm not familiar with.
0: Yeah. lots. There's a lot of erosion on the Louisiana coastline mm. too. It's, it's like a crazy amount.
1: It's beautiful. Yeah. But it's really different from anything that I'm used to.
0: I, I make jokes I all the that time there's... that you need a passport to come to Louisiana.
1: But there's stuff in that. Like I looked down and I'm like, man, I hope this engine doesn't quit here because I right. am going to be a fish out of water <laughs> in this environment. Really, I mean, you, just your geography has to be a special skill set in itself.
0: Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, I, I'm the people who who stood up housing and the original settling in Louisiana. I mean, those were that was resilience. Yeah.
1: So. COVID hits. Are you prepared before it hits?
0: I feel like I am. Yeah. Um, did you, know, you look
1: at COVID as like a flu that's 99.9% survivable for the majority of the population? Or oh, yeah. Did you look at it as something <laughs> big different? eye
0: roll from the beginning? Big eye roll. You know, I mean, it, yeah.
1: <laughs> and that flus come and go? Absolutely. And they do kill some people? They do, yeah.
0: Yeah, it was, you know, and I think having um, an understanding of history too, like the early influenza outbreak in the United States, and and I had I had even read the kids read alouds about that, about this little boy. The influenza outbreak came, and his family sent him to a logging camp in Minnesota to protect him, and he learned all these life skills out there. And we had read that book, and so even in their young little innocent minds, they made the connection. Like this, this sounds a lot like. Things we've read about in history, wow. like this, isn't so shocking that something like this were to happen, you know. Um, and also, in the uh, empowerment for me and self-reliance for me includes every aspect of their life, and so even their ability to take care of their bodies and how to maximize their their health and their ability to thrive in the world. That's part of their life, making good food choices, you know. Like if they eat a bad food, if they're, they're at the age now where they do make some of their own food choices, if they go to a friend's house and have something that would upset their stomach later, you know, we'll have the discussion, not in a condescending way, but you know, like, why do you think you could feel this way? Like, did you maybe eat something today? And like, oh, that was a bad choice. I shouldn't have done that. Like it wasn't worth it. Um, and so just really teaching them to understand, to be intentional human beings.
1: Man, at 60, I wish I had that influence on me when I was a little kid. <laughs> me too. Yeah. You're doing. Good they sometimes work.
0: probably wish that I didn't. Maybe, but
1: they, later on in life, they're going to really appreciate hopefully. you. How do you like the artwork?
0: I think it's amazing. You do? I do.
1: That's Alina. She She's so good. So
0: good. Is this is? It says series on the front. I need to know when the next ones are going to be coming out. We'll send you all. We have three. Yeah. We'll send all of it. We'll so. send
1: you be getting boxes of them.
0: Oh gosh. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious though that I've had this that I've had these books? Yeah.
1: I and I'm shocked. I thought it was uh, just like did we bring it? Or... No.
0: And I think I told you that in our first conversation. I was like, I'm actually putting together a present today with the John Wayne book.
1: You don't tell me anything. Uh,
0: come on. We literally related to him. But... <laughs> uh, it's okay. Um so yeah, so I started I started um, telling people just how to how to maximize their health. Get in the sun, you know? People were panicking about vitamins. Like, you couldn't even get supplements for a while, remember? Like, zinc. Well, like, zinc like, was sold out.
1: Where I live, it's pretty, you know, we have a lot. Like, I don't know if rural Louisiana has the same access to the supply chain that maybe I'm gonna go with, Beach, California ha- no. has. So, <laughs> you know, I remember, like, Seeing like the toilet paper aisle kind of depleted, and shaking my head. But I,
0: you're like, get a bidet. <laughs> yeah,
1: and do something. Plus, I live in a van, so you know, didn't slow us down that much.
0: You're like, I le- I use leaves. That's right.
1: Um, so I I didn't. I mean, I noticed some things, and you know, something might be out for a little bit, but it, it's an affluent area, and it's in the middle of a big population zone. So it was, we didn't hit it. If something bad would happen and then, you know, that mass of people who don't have the same access to supplies that maybe like a Newport Beach or an affluent coastal town has, then things could get bad. Yeah. You know, when when the, the millions surrounding mm-hmm. come in, that could get rough there.
0: Yeah. And I, the more rural you get, the less access you have mm-hmm. to a variety of places. Mm. Yeah, I think they felt it. They felt it a lot and and it wasn't just that it was it was recognizing that things were shifting that were out of their control mm. and they weren't really sure what was coming next, and they weren't really sure if they were prepared for it.
1: well, and none of us were like right in the beginning, we didn't know right that this was most likely survivable, yeah, for most people
0: for sure well and and, and schools and were personally. closed, parents had their children home for an extended period of time, we're having to play an active role in their education in some capacity, mm-hmm. some for the first time ever, and relating to their children and communicating with them seems like an impossible task. And so it felt like my Super Bowl. Like that was my moment to be like, you can do this. I will show you how to communicate with your children. You know, I just, my heart hurt for people who felt so helpless and, I mean the anxiety rates the, were on got the rise. Really sick. I mean yeah. I knew
1: some young people who you know who died who didn't make it through COVID. So it yeah. does have an effect.
0: There there was so much panic. There just was. And and so I I started to just teach people like this is what you have in your home. This is how you can modify your diet even with just fruits and vegetables and foods to increase your immunity. Um this is the way I deal with respiratory issues in the home. Like what are some non-pharmaceutical ways that you can support the respiratory system if you were to get sick, you know, um, like things I had been doing my whole life. Also taking care of basic med considerations at home. Um, people were spending a lot more time outside. They were becoming a little more adventurous. You know, they had more opportunity to get out with their family. They had not nothing much to do. And so they were having injuries from being out outside, Mm. you know, like not identifying plants property, properly, like poison ivy. Poison, I mean, break, bone break, like very yeah. just common practical issues. Everything went on the rise in that time time frame. Things that you wouldn't even think about, you know? I mean, so you start start making those connections. Families getting out on the road more, going on adventures together, getting lost, like not really knowing how to have backup communication, mm-hmm. not knowing how to read maps, not really knowing how to be safe out in nature with your kids, like training your kids how to be safe, little adventurers, um, and you know even what your kids should carry in their little safety yeah. packs when they're out on the trail. So there were everything I did and everything knife, I loved:
1: beef jerky a right. you know, lighter and matches. If I had that, my dad was like, a "See a kid."
0: I love whistles. Whistles are huge too. We have our own little like comms plan. That's good. Yeah. But I just started talking about this, and it people just flocked in. Like tell me more. Do you really do this? And so, did you
1: have an Instagram presence before?
0: I had like five thousand followers. It wasn't anything significant, but it blew up, especially after I started working with Fieldcraft. Um, and and surprisingly, most of my audience is not um, the super tactical world. It was the wives of the men or um, family, family folk, people who started to ask questions about homeschooling. Um, that is the main demographic of my, of my following. Um, how much
1: time does it take to homeschool three children?
0: They're still young enough that it's not extremely complex. Um, and then once they're in about the third to fourth grade level, a lot of what they do is independent. I see. You teach them new concepts, but they've been trained from the beginning to learn a lot of it independently and do a lot of independent work. So I start Sometimes I start around 8, sometimes we start around 9, it just depends on our morning, mm-hmm. and I'm done before lunch.
1: But, but I imagine like the whole day with you is probably, you know, they're getting tutored regardless of whether school. it's school time or it's not. It's life
0: school, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's book work you have to do, like English and, and math, obviously. Those are really important things to be studious about, But but science and geography and history, a lot of that can be done. As a living Tom
1: Hennessy got me interested in things, and then a, uh, one of the teachers in high school would take uh, one day a week, and he had Uncle Bill's story hour, and he'd read a book to us. And I immediately started reading books. Mm-hmm. And my dad was a prolific reader, but I caught the bug, and I just you know I'm constantly reading. I'm never yeah. not listening or reading a book.
0: Mm-hmm. I love
1: that. That saved me. You know.
0: I love for reading's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think a lot of children are pushed sometimes before they're ready and capable. Um, you know, my son, he took a little he took a little longer to learn to read than my mm. daughter, but I, d- I never labeled him as that. And you know, Einstein says, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it'll spend its whole life thinking <laughs> it's dumb. And so making sure I taught them to love learning. And to lean into their strengths and just to encourage them, even if it was something that is not a strength of theirs. And mm. and I just know that as long as you're consistent and disciplined with something, it will come. The learning will come, but it mm. will come in their own time. And they just don't have the luxury of that in the school system, which I get. You know, the school system, it's, the compulsory school system was birthed during the Industrial Revolution. And that's what it was created for, was a mass education of students. And so it is necessary in some capacities. I won't I won't write that off. Not everyone can do and have the same the same um, access to training and teaching their children this or way. Or
1: interests. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so I get that, but I do have the capability to do it. I do have the passion to do it. And so you, I... But you I talk about
1: your son being like slower to learn something or t- took him longer to to develop the interest. For me, I only read sort of fictional adventure that was wrapped around flying or might have details of flying or... Or some other aspect of something, some activity that I was interested in, the details of. yeah. And so I could get through those stories mm-hmm. and absorb uh, an education, you know, through just some of the details surrounding like this fictional thing. But that led me to, you know, s- real interest in certain subjects where I'll just right. go straight into the subject without a fictional
0: and I do, adventure leading. Me I there. love the flexibility of not saying, okay, your curriculum says you have to read this book today. I let him try to be active and engaged in that. And I think that's part of building that self-reliance mm. is allowing him access to his own mind and his own affinities. Obviously holding him accountable in some capacity and teaching him discipline, but saying, why don't you pick the book you want to read today, buddy? You know, like obviously I want him to and read something that, that is engaging is, for him.
1: It's is super important. I don't think I had a lot of accountability. Even with John Wayne as your father, like he's busy. Yeah. He's sick. He's trying to deal with this. I had a lot of freedom. Good on on one side, but bad on the other side. But as I as you grow up, you start to realize like, "Ooh, I missed this. Mm-hmm. I missed somebody keeping me accountable. When it was there, I actually enjoyed it. Yeah. Even though at the time I might not have realized it. Right. But it's it's really important.
0: Yeah, kids definitely thrive in routine. Um and he and like where I say he 's taken a little slower to read than his sister i i mean that 's not fair to judge him by that because she 's exemplary when it comes to her reading skills, but he is it can probably do math at the same level mm. that she can. And and I can recognize that as his mom because I'm in the trenches with him every day. Um, but I, I actually bring in my sister-in-law and I have a nanny and they will do their schoolwork with them when I'm gone. Oh, wow. And I love that they get to learn with someone else. My sister-in-law was even texting me this morning and um, it's a it's a blessing for them You know, she has her own young children, and and so she gets to kind of experience what home education looks like before it's time for her children to be educated Mm. that way. Um, But it builds this great connection between my children and other people that I trust that I want to be an active role in in their life. Um, But she was even saying, like, it was really fun to help her do her creative writing project yesterday and and recognizing strengths and skill sets in her that you wouldn't recognize. Unless you were sitting at a table teaching mm-hmm. and learning alongside her. So I love reintegrating. And you're still in that community. small
1: circle, of uh, that smaller community where everybody's pretty close.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, they live, cool. my family lives about seven minutes down the road. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's great.
1: Where's Storyteller? They're. I have no idea. Out there. They're like Alabama or Arkansas. Are they really? Yeah. I think okay. they're Al- Alabama, maybe Birmingham, somewhere like that. Oh,
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah I think they're there. But they were just at the Adventure Van Expo in San Clemente. Did you miss him? Uh, I went down and talked to him. Oh, nice. Yeah. Because I, I bought my van and the, I guess the guy who was our storyteller expert had been transferred to another location, got a promotion. Mm. And I got like a guy who knew the basics of motorhomes, but not super specific to storyteller.
0: Yeah. Do you know more than him?
1: Uh, no, I mean, I knew, like, I know that's where the water goes in. I, I know that's where the <laughs> thing plugs in. The microphone. I don't know about the microphone, so this thing has to be close. Okay, got it. Also, you just went to Ukraine, or Poland, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you wanna
0: yeah. About that? Oh, we can finish real quick. I was, we'll was going to ask her later. So oh, in that summer of COVID, when I was doing all the education, I had a tourniquet from Fieldcraft. I hadn't been following them closely. I had just bought some medical supplies from them. Um, and I tagged them in it, providing, you know, giving some resources to, to let people know where they could find supplies. Mm. I was training my daughter, teaching my daughter how to use a tourniquet and showing people how easy it was. And uh, Mike, who owns Fieldcraft as a CEO, reached out and he was like, this is great. I've been looking for somebody who can speak to family and speak to women. And I think, I think the vision was somebody that was not, did not seem super tactical, somebody that they could funnel in a whole different demographic of people who seemed relatable. And, um, and you know, everything I was teaching, it wasn't content I just sat down one day and I was like, let's make a business model out of this and right. create some content. This was very authentic and it still is to me. And I think that's why I love what I do so much um, is because I don't have to like drag this stuff up. It just is there. Mm. It's just what my life is, you know? It's its how can I organize it, organize it in, a ma- in a manner to where I can relate it to people better. Um, that's the business part of it.
1: Well, and you make it seem attainable because you you know, you might somebody might go to a channel or try to find some information about something and it's delivered by someone who is just like they're way off in the deep end of whatever their interest is. Yeah. You know, and so that can that can be off-putting for somebody who just, you know, I and don't I, ha- I don't want to have to dress different or yeah. you know.
0: And I never want it to be pretentious either. Like I even follow I've followed people before who speak about women's self-defense and they even make me feel nervous a little Mm. inside when I watch because I'm like, oh, if I say one thing or I do one thing wrong, like the tactical police is coming after me. You know, (laughs) like it's just that very aggressive feeling. And so I think it's the Southern maternal part of me that I just want people to feel like they belong. Like there's a place for them here. Even if they don't look like this, even Uh if they aren't comfortable with guns yet, they don't want to carry a gun. That's fine there's another way. Let's figure out how to, to start with one thing at a time and involve you, involve your family, just opening the door a crack, a little crack at a time, you know, because the overwhelmed mind says no. So I don't want anybody to feel overwhelmed. And I just want it to feel like it's part of their life because it has to be. Otherwise it's just something they do to make themselves feel better. Like a tourniquet in, in cellophane in the back of their vehicle. You know,
1: there's no quick fix for anything, whether it's self-defense or knowledge or whatever. It's a journey. It's one step at a time. And it's not like you're going to go to a class and learn everything now. It's just the, the beginning of a journey that you start to you just start to open up another another aspect or another uh, line of information that you're going to con- you're going to build on for the next 20 years.
0: It evolves. Things change. Mm hmm. The climate of the world changes, technology changes, your access to things change, expertise changes. And you just, like, for me, it's so important to showcase that I am a learner and I love to teach, but I will also be a lifelong learner. I will be committed to that.
1: And how, like, the best way to learn is to teach.
0: Yes. And, well, and to continually expose myself to very uncomfortable things so that I'm building my own resilience. Mm-hmm. I'm never just becoming complacent, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, good, yeah, Mike reached out, we started making content just to gauge the temperature of how people would respond. Um, and people responded very well for the most part. And I remember a conversation he and I had, we were actually sitting right there at that couch. And uh, I was like, I don't know, I don't, why do you want me to do this? Like, I don't know if I'm the girl for this. And, and I was kind of nervous thinking about the, the audience they had and being, you know, like little old me. Um, Am I going to be able to stand in the arena with these people? And he said, well, why not you? Do you trust someone else to, to lead these women and these families? Like, if you can tell me there's somebody out there that you trust with their hearts and with their children, you know, then I'll consider talking to them. And I was like, nope, never mind. I don't trust anybody else, you know. I get what you were saying. I get what he, I get what he was trying to say. Mm-hmm. I think he actually referred to me that day as the Joanna Gaines of preparedness. <laughs> I was like, okay,
1: that's good.
0: <laughs> One day maybe we'll call. Them, we'll just refer to me as the Amber L of preparedness. Right? Can I stand stand in my own uh, power there? But but it was true. I didn't. I didn't trust someone else to not well, be pretentious. And you're, not,
1: you're not trying to reach a community of people who already have like, you know, uh, 12,000 pounds of toilet paper and rice and everything buried in a, in a thing in their backyard. You're trying to get people who don't have the basics, the tools they need to start learning and becoming self-reliant and prepared.
0: Yeah.
1: Just in general, right? Mm-hmm. And then they can take a leap from you and, and go into firearms or, you know... Uh, martial arts training or yeah yeah, whatever's next whatever yeah um so i think that's pretty good
0: yeah so that's what we started making content um people responded well and then he was like i you know i think i think we create like a whole a whole section of the company for family preparedness and we'll just have you be the director of it and then awesome yeah it's it's great it was humbling To be able to work with men who were so capable and had such great experiences, but who were also willing to humble themselves and say, you know what? We don't know everything about this, so we're going to bring you on board and we'll trust what you have to say and we'll edify you and we'll give you a platform, um, but we'll let you teach us along the way and we'll teach you and who were willing to be a team in that regard.
1: So you have basic knowledge that a lot of people don't have just because of the way you grew up and you became a nurse. Then you face COVID and you become a leader for people in your community and in this online community that you've established. Then you connect with Fieldcraft and you're forming a a platform to reach out to families and give them the information that you shared with your local community on a larger scale. And then (laughs) Russia invades Ukraine.
0: Russia invades Ukraine.
1: So here's a new issue.
0: Yes. And I guess
1: Mike and the Fieldcraft team probably have deep roots and connections into military.
0: Right. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, during that time, I don't know, as, as a, it seems like our leadership made some, some decisions that a lot of us weren't crazy about mm-hmm. and um, left people in the lurch. And I saw, at least on Instagram, it's cool because you get to see a lot of these people you know, go, Hey, we don't like this. We've got friends over there and we're going to try and go figure out a way to help these people.
0: Yeah. Um, I love the connections of even working with the company, making the connections, being here for events, having people come in. I'm all about, like we talked about earlier, the conversations, Mm -hmm. like I want to hear about your experiences. I want to hear about what your opinion is on the matter based on your experiences. Um, and so I've got I've gotten to have such great conversations with really incredible people, um, but one of the one of the veteran um, I'm going to say I would say companies, but it's a nonprofit. So one of the veteran nonprofits that Fieldcraft has connections with um, was um, it's called Mighty Oaks, and so what they do is they help give support to veterans who are struggling with PTSD. Mm. And so they have um, different facilities set up around the United States where they host retreats um, for these men. And it's, the cost is completely covered for them. And um, because it's, it's huge, it's a huge epidemic in our culture. We're at like, after COVID, it was over 20 suicides a day in the veteran community. Wow. Yeah. And so. We had a young um,
1: guy that we hired out of the Marines and he served in Afghanistan yeah. super nice guy seemed to have some struggles mm-hmm. and I ended up going home and God, you know you, you just that had you know he killed himself and oh, it was yeah. tough for us because we could tell like you know there was a brave face put on right he, he was he was kind of part of our team but there was something a little bit distant Off. yeah and you know, obviously, none of us had the skills to get in there and mm-hmm. and deal with them. You know, just trying to be supportive and and work with them. Do you remember Craig?
0: Yeah. You I never, think it's you never um,
1: met him, right? He's a really nice guy. I think
0: it's important too that it it was it stood up by veterans who've been there and who get it. You know, it's not yeah. just the subject matter experts because you know war trauma is is a whole different ball game, and we can't begin to imagine. You know what that looks like, Mm -hmm. moving back into society and having to deal with that. So, um, yeah, I think it's a. I think they have to. They really, they have to be there for their own people in that in that capacity. And so, um, I think it's a great foundation. But but what they did was the so the the uh, the president of that of that board of that nonprofit had a translator in Afghanistan that he was not willing to let the Taliban kill. So he partnered with um, two other men and a woman who has, you know, great uh, connections in D.C. And so they formed the nonprofit Save Our Allies, went in um, to Kabul and flew people out and got out. It was over... It's like over eighteen thousand people. Wow! Americans, Afghans, um, because they they all have. Well, if they meet the criteria, how do you
1: get into Kabul? For right? Christ's sake! Well, it, like, was, that's b- what I it was
0: before. It was before they had shut the airport down. But yeah, they chartered flights. Wow, it's pretty that's, incredible. That's amazing work. Yeah, they have they have a book coming out on it, um, and I think I think we'll eventually see a movie on it too.
1: You look like you know. Back in the day, like I remember, Ross Perot hiring like you know an ex special forces guy to go in and get people out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had the uh, Iranian hostages, and I mean, you know, there's just been things over the years. But it seems like in the present day, it's just a mass of people who need help. Oh yeah, and it it doesn't seem like they're getting it from our public officials. They're getting it from people like this.
0: Yeah, grassroots um Americans mhm you know so but i
1: think a lot of things in our society need to switch like that like I maybe know, right? education and politics like yeah. we don't want a political class of people we need some term limits and we want to get people who have done well in the community who go this community has been good to me and i'm going to dedicate two or four years of my life to giving them my knowledge creativity and hard work you know to better the community I-
0: and I think people just forget that they have that right. It's work. It's work. And, and people think, oh, in this day and age, like the whole grassroots thing is dead. It's not dead. I actually had my best childhood friend just ran for DA of our town. She's the first female DA in our parish. We have counties. I mean, we have parishes instead mm-hmm. of counties. Um, and her mom and her grandma and her aunts went to every single door, knocked on every single door, and gave them little jars of figs. Because that's what her family did. They oh. canned. Cozy.
1: Um,
0: <clears throat> you know, like sat on couches, shook hands, and brought it back to community. And like what they knew they were good at. Like they were really good at being hospitable southern women. And that's what they did. And she won that election. Like with flying colors. Oh, good. And, and, and well, I'm going
1: gonna, I'm gonna to drag us yeah. back to like your upbringing, your education, coronavirus, connection to field craft and training, and now the war in Ukraine breaks out.
0: Yeah, so we, made the, we had the connection with Save and this Our is, Allies. This is,
1: a re, this is like such a cool evolution to see, and you're sitting right here.
0: <laughs> um, it, they had the connection to Save Our Allies. Rob and I actually helped get Mike's interpreter out last October. He and his family were um, on, on a list you know, of da- they were in danger from being killed by the Taliban because of their affiliation yeah. and and work they did for the U.S. government and military, and so we helped. We worked with Save Our Allies to help get him out, and so we had kind of seen the inside structure of what was going on there. Save Our Allies moves into Poland um, because they are veterans, so they're considered a non-government agency. U.S. government, U.S. military can't go into Ukraine because. We're a NATO country, Ukraine's not, right? Be a sign of aggression. And so they use non-government agencies to help facilitate extractions, important extractions, and also to get supplies to the Ukrainian um, like special forces and people that are still in there fighting. And so... um, I had just reached out to the organization, just letting them know like, hey, I'm praying for you. Is there anything more specific I can do? And I obviously have a passion deeply for women and families. That's what I do. And it's a lot of women and families that are being um, evacuated out of Ukraine because the men are staying to fight for the most part. And so it kind of started as like a little joke. They were like, well, do you think you can get here? Like we could really use a nurse (laughs) on the ground here to work with the with the refugees. And so it just worked out. And so I, I went, you know, I represented, um, American mothers is what I like to say. And I also represented Fieldcraft, I'm in mean, doing that, going work alongside. And who, allies. Did,
1: who went with you? Me. You just went alone.
0: Yeah. I met up with, none of these dudes went with you. None of them. No.
1: What the hell? <laughs> Call. I'll go over there.
0: They were like, we trained her. We're going to like throw her into baptism. So, by fire. How do you, you get know? there? What do you mean? I flew
1: just, Commercial commercial flights got you over there? Yeah. And I was even, in Poland. Okay. So yeah. you're just right across the border. Yeah. But you can still get in and out, no problem. Life is
0: very normal in Poland. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. On the edge of war, it's still very normal, very peaceful.
1: And then you make it way to the border?
0: Yeah. So I worked in a city for a lot of the time, about two hours uh, west of the border, and because it's very rural right inside of the border mm. between Ukraine. You get there and it's rolling farmland, you know? And so once we got to the larger city, that's where a large amount of the humanitarian, and isn't that was.
1: where most of the food comes from? Like in that part of the world, I think it's out like of the 25% Ukraine. Of
0: It's like a
1: major farming. Yeah. Wheat. Yeah. Mm-hmm, grains,
0: yeah. Um, and so I worked in the city. They were, they were moving families in, staging them in like humanitarian centers, feeding them, helping them with their next steps moving them out. I did go down to the border one day because we were helping get, um, a group of disabled children and elderly across the, across the border to get them safely to Sweden. Um, so it was, it was interesting. Yeah.
1: Had you been to Europe before?
0: I had never been to Europe.
1: So that was probably a pretty interesting trip.
0: It was very much so. It was, um, I, I like building resilience so putting myself alone into a different country you know a non-english speaking country in a lot of regards was very
1: and so was it the nonprofit that that you went over with or they just connected you to somebody there and you went and helped them
0: I helped them with some of the some of the groundwork so when we were like when we were getting the youth across the border mm-hmm. the disabled across the border um, I was working with them there they connected me to the connections they had already made in the humanitarian centers I see. Um they, they there was a lot of men helping but they did try to keep it women for I a see. lot of the part the women were the Ukrainian women coming in were um, had more of an affinity for working with other women mm. And so I would go, I would go to the centers in the mornings and I would do give medical aid. Um, I'd sit with the women and we'd figure out what their needs were. Some of them, on a one-on-one on, on one on one basis, they had specific needs, you know, clothing for their children or suitcases. And I would go to stores and I'd buy them what they need, bring it back to them and like help them make next step plans, like where they were going, how they were going to get their documents in order to cross borders, you know, how and- we were going to change the SIM card in their phone so that they had communication access.
1: Do most people speak English?
0: Um not most of the Ukrainians. Okay. Uh some of them. I would I would say a, a small percentage did as a second language. Um more so the Polish spoke English as mm-hmm. a second language. And so they they did help translate Google Translator really came in clutch. Wow. Yeah. It was great. But it's so um it's so incredible to see that humanity has no barriers, you know, um, we, they, they would figure out fast that I was there to help and I figured out fast what they needed. And we, we, we connected despite our ability to, to talk. There was an understanding, you know, um, almost like supernaturally. So it was was quite an experience.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Amber.
0: I didn't lie to you today. I promise. (laughs) I didn't tell you. Well, we'll go to the library and we're going to check some of this (laughs) out.
1: But it was fun being able to meet you, and to be able to meet you here and get the bonus, you know, of, of uh I hope we get to meet more people from Fieldcraft and and understand more about they. And then we have more activities, right? We do. We have two oh yeah. You can tell
0: them that they can look at our YouTube channel.
1: This is what so I think I think that's how I know Fieldcraft is from YouTube the because YouTube I I don't have direct TV or cable or me. anything. Who, who's what?
0: The YouTubers are not big fans of me.
1: Really? Some YouTubers. They're I don't know. Yeah. Small. <laughs> yeah, don't worry well, about them. They're always
0: super critical of Trust me, I,
1: I have people who are not fans of me. <laughs> um, Where can people find you and uh, learn more about what you're doing?
0: Yeah, so I am personally on Instagram at ms.amber.elle, so um And then I'm also very frequently on the Fieldcraft Instagram. It's a collaborative effort of all of the faces of Fieldcraft that um, help make content for instagram so that is at Um on the Survival youtube channel we have a blog we have a, a great website thank you so much for listening to the john wayne grit cast make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode if you like what you heard give us five stars in the apple podcast app and follow us on social media at john wayne official
1: slap some bacon on a biscuit and let's go